Steph Hansen, faculty at Iowa State University. And I'm Mary Janowski, faculty at the University of Nebraska. When we started our faculty positions, we quickly realized how important mentoring can be to the success of our graduate students and our programs. Using the principles of community, communication, and curiosity, we'll give you actionable tips to become a better graduate student mentor based on what we've learned during our mentoring journey. We've made the mistakes, so you don't have to, because mentoring matters. Hello, mentors, and welcome to Episode 7 of the Mentoring Matters Podcast. We're skipping the updates this week and getting straight into the good stuff. We have decided to schedule this podcast in uh, seasons, and the way that we're going to do that is going to be concurrent with the academic year, so we're kind of wrapping up the spring semester here. So this will actually be our last episode for this first season of the Mentoring Matters podcast, and we're looking forward to putting some good material together for you over the summer, and we'll be back with you when the fall semester starts in late August or early September. I'm sure like everyone else, you are excited to get out there and do some traveling this summer, and that's what we have planned for our summers as well. All right, so we're doing something a little different this week. We have a little bit of a top 10 list for you. So our question is, What advice would you give yourself if you could go back to when you first started mentoring graduate students? And so this has kind of turned into what we're calling our top 10 tips for new faculty. So Mary, if you could could think back, go back on the way back time machine to when you first started mentoring graduate students, what's one of your tips that you would have given your former self? Well, I think one of the things that I would have told myself is every student is an individual. And while we all know that, I think the more you work to cater the program to that individual and help that individual see that you're willing to make changes to the program to fit their needs. So their goals and their strengths and give them a little bit more opportunity uh, to tailor it, the the more happy they're going to be in the program and the more productive they're going to be because they see you really care. So good, in fact, to actually tailor things, classes, to think about how to help them think through their passion. And if they have, say, something they're really interested in, how can we incorporate that into their program? I definitely agree with this one. Um, It made me think about the personality type and the preference type work that we do in my group where we have everybody kind of take the Myers-Briggs type assessment so I can learn a little bit more about how they learn the best. But I think also along with this realizing, you know, when you're first getting started in your faculty position, you were probably just recently a graduate student yourself or, or maybe a postdoc. And it's really easy to just assume that everybody is just like you. And I know we're going to come back to something kind of related to that in a little bit. But I definitely agree with you that this idea of, you know, starting from day one to figure out what that student wants to be when they grow up and, and kind of help figure out how you can tailor your program for that person to give them the best opportunity for success. Okay, so my turn. One of my top tips that I would go back and give myself would be to try to figure out how to give my students ownership in their program and in their project to really help develop their passion. And I guess what I mean by this is we've all experienced this, right? You have a graduate student who it doesn't seem to be matter what you throw at them. 
they never flinch, right? They're just so driven by experiencing the science and learning something new. They're so, they're such a nerd about their subject, right? They're so excited that they're kind of always willing to go the extra mile. It's a lot easier to get that student who is super engaged and passionate about their work across the finish line of graduation than it is the one that you've kind of got to drag kicking and screaming, right? And so it's good to kind of keep your eyes out for signs that maybe the project and the student aren't as well aligned as you hope they would be. And even going back to when you first interview that student and, you know, if possible, if you know the project they're going to work on or the thing they're going to do, lay it out for them and watch for those signs of like, I have no idea what you're talking about and I am not interested in that or the, well, that sounds interesting. And they start getting engaged and and sound curious. So I think anything we can do to help build that passion and engagement from the beginning is only going to make our lives easier as mentors later. Yeah, I totally agree with uh, trying to help to develop their passion. And sometimes, you know, let's face it, they're still learning and experiencing. I mean, we all are through life, I think. Uh, But, you know, they may not know what things they're really going to be passionate about when they first start out. And so having conversations with them, just like what we're talking about, everyone's an individual, having those conversations and kind of figuring out things that really interest them and help them see ways to mold uh, their project or their program to hit some of those passions so that they are more excited about what they're doing, I think can be really, really helpful. My next tip, so my number two, would be uh, establishing a culture that the students see you as a human and see that you really do want to help them. So, they feel comfortable coming and talking to you about things. I think sometimes we can be scary. And so they don't tell us sometimes all the things that are going on. Uh, they don't tell us, well, you know, what, when, say, their passion changes, when their goals change. They don't tell us when they're struggling with something. And sometimes they can they can be struggling in the background and you never know it, right? And, you, and you, then you get... a a semester in and realize, you know, this student really has not done anything, has not accomplished anything in that semester. And you start asking why. And a lot of times, you know, if you had had those conversations earlier, you could have helped them through that. Um, You could have helped make more progress. And so I really try hard to, to be that advisor or that mentor that my students do feel comfortable talking to me about things. And I do think the constant contact and having that early session in each of our meetings where we just talk about what's going on so they have that opportunity to bring something up if they're struggling with something has been really, really useful. So I think it's pretty entertaining that, you know, we're both reading off of the notes that we kind of brainstormed this session ahead of time. And um, I'm reading, you know, this tip and you have establishing culture. And I interpreted that as something totally different than what you just said. So I I absolutely agree with what you what you just said, and it's so important that they understand that we're there to help them. I'm going to take it a step further, and I think that one of the things, if when I if I could go back, I would tell myself, you know, you need to start figuring out what you want the Hanson Lab Group to be. What do you want it to look like? And you know, you've made this comment on this podcast, and when you've come to visit my group before, that my group really is like a little family, right? And they would be the first to tell you that they're there for each other in the tough times, which you know, sometimes they're they're more comfortable sharing a challenge with their colleague than they are with their boss, right? And and I think that's fine to some extent, right? Like at some point, I wish they, they would definitely come to me and I want to make sure they understand I'm open to that. But sometimes just being able to, you know, call the senior student or text them and be like, hey, I'm really struggling in this thing or whatever, you know, they 
they really value that opinion. And, and so I think having that culture of uh, teamwork and camaraderie, you know, and that happens naturally in some places, and it might depend how gregarious some of your students are, how quickly it happens. But it's something that if you can be really intentional when you're first starting your, your grad group, it can just, it can pay back so many benefits. All right. So the next one on my list is articulating expectations. Um, I think the reason that this is on my list is because um, kind of like I alluded to earlier, when I first started my faculty position, I had very recently been a PhD student and I was super driven and loved my science and, you know, had a great mentor and everything. And I just, you know, kind of thought, well, everybody else will be like that too, right? And, you know, of course they know that I expect them to be in the office. And of course they know that I expect this, right? And what I really found was that that would get me into trouble when we would get later in a program and I would be like, what have you been doing? Like, where's your stuff? Um, And realizing that what I needed to say was on day one, or even from before day one during the interview, be like, these are the things I expect. I have high expectations of myself. I have high expectations of you but never fear. I'm going to give you all the tools to be successful and we're going to do it together. And we're going to have fun rewards along the way, like going to meetings and doing some traveling and sharing your, your work with people. But I really had to make sure that I was really clear in how I articulated expectations because it prevents all that misunderstanding later. Right. And that can turn into well, you were never a hard ass on any of my um, edits on previous editions, right? And now all of a sudden we're a month before defense and you're being really tough on me. What's happened? And it's like, yes, that's my bad, right? That's not your fault. That's my fault for not being consistent and articulating those expectations. Yeah, I think articulating expectations is hugely important. And it actually rolls into my next one, which is don't assume. You know what they say about assuming. Yeah, they don't know what they don't know, right? And if you want some type of a result, you have to tell them that you have to articulate that result. Uh, So I was just thinking about things like, I'm always surprised when we get to a stage with one of the new master's students and I realize they still can't understand how to read the stats or how to interpret them. Or I get surprised sometimes that they don't know how to write the results, Uh, whatever it may be, I I am like, oh, yeah, you know, they haven't been taught this before. That's my job as an advisor. And so I just have to remind myself with every student that they don't know that they don't know how to do these things. And it's your job to help them work through it. That's what I love about those group meetings is that I can hit multiple students at once with common content, common teaching that they all kind of need to know. And so I just have to tell myself, if my student doesn't know how to do something, it's my fault. So it's my job to teach them that. Yeah, I kind of think of this as you basically have to begin at the beginning with each student, right? And I think, so I totally agree with your comment on the grad meetings, and and that's a group kind of, a great way to, to kind of hit a bunch of them at one time with some information. It's super nice in those meetings too, because you'll be like, I don't know, senior student, what do you think is happening here, right? And so then you can kind of turn it around and it's a great way to see like where you might have some weaknesses in older students or like where they can really shine. They feel confident because they're able to help somebody and teach somebody. I also think 
you know, we've been more explicit or um, intentional with this in recent years too, with having kind of peer mentors assigned. So you've got a more senior student and you're like, hey, your responsibility is to make sure that junior student learns how to do live animal trials or whatever, right? Some specific assay in the lab or whatever. So not only are we paying attention to them as mentors, but also that senior student is kind of looking out for them as well. Because more recently, the senior student remembers how tough it was having the other students be ones that can help teach the the newer students. I think that's a great model. I think it's a really uh, useful model because it's um, very helpful, of course, to us because there's oftentimes more of them than there are of us. But I think you still have to not assume that they've been taught and you have to be very intentional that they get that information, whether it be from you or from that uh, senior student. Yeah, and all faculty have different priorities in, in their things too, right? So somebody might have very front of mind that they need to be outstanding writers, or it might be that they need to be really, really spectacular in the lab. Everything's Everybody's got something different. Okay, so my next one is to not be afraid to bring these students with you on the journey. And what I mean with that is that when you're getting started as a faculty member in most of our our fields, if you have any kind of research appointment, you're probably doing grant writing. You're hopefully networking, even though that's super terrifying for all the introverts in the room, which is a lot of us. But, you know, the benefit of bringing those students with you on that journey is all of the exposure that they get. You know, so they get to see the partners who do industry-sponsored research with us who are really amazing and, you know, maybe the other end of the spectrum too. And they get to see how to articulate and justify their science by writing a grant, right? Like give them all those opportunities to build the soft skills that you wish you would have already built by the time you suddenly found yourself as a faculty member at a big research one institution. Um, So don't be afraid to bring them along on that journey. Every person that they meet is another opportunity for a job uh, down the line or even just getting exposure out there. You know, you want to lay some groundwork and make sure that the student understands kind of what they're allowed to say or what they should be comfortable with and things like that. But I think that those networking opportunities have been absolutely invaluable for my students. And I wish I would have been not afraid to just start with that from day one. Yeah. So on networking, I mean, the same thing holds true, like bringing them with you as I have a high extension appointment, I mean, taking them out and getting to see how their research is actually being used out in the field and getting talked to producers and see that, you know, again, it kind of helps that passion when most of those students come to work for me because they have a similar type of, of passion of wanting to help producers. And then if they get to see that in real life, um, that just drives them a little bit more. So I love that idea of bringing them with you. I also like the idea of bringing them with you in terms of your learning. So I think it's really important to help the students see that we don't know everything. We don't have all the answers. These are not scripted uh, research projects that we know what's going to happen at the end. And we, we know everything, right? Instead, uh, we're learning with them. And we, if we can help them see that, then they'll be much more willing to kind of take that ownership and really, you know, put themselves out there a little bit more in terms of being willing to to try things that maybe they're not sure will be successful. 
Okay, so my next one is giving verbal feedback, especially when it comes to helping the students learn how to write. Uh, Initially, I provide comments and provide edits on their document, and it is really hard to provide context. It is really hard to really explain how they need to do certain things and the reason behind it so that they can understand how to apply it to other situations. So for me, when I started actually providing verbal feedback, having a meeting and just discussing it, it made all the difference in the world in terms of their progress and in terms of their confidence. Because it's easy to to articulate things like, oh yeah, all the students struggle with this, right? They A lot of students do this. And so they don't feel like they're alone. They don't feel like they're really behind. They can't read your mind. So the more uh, feedback you can give them, uh, the more progress that they can make. And so I really wished I had started giving verbal feedback right away. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a lot bigger talker than you. So I probably gave a lot more verbal feedback than you did at the beginning. But um, I uh, don't really have anything to add because I whole, whole, wholeheartedly agree with everything that you said. It's very important to have that opportunity to talk through things. And because then they can ask clarifying questions right? That's one of the things that, you know, again, they can't read your mind on reading your comment on track changes on the Word document. Like, what do you think she means by this? I don't know. (laughs) Okay. So I'm next approaching my second from the top tip, organize. So what I mean about this is I, I don't even know how many years it was, probably at least four or five, that's terrifying, but four or five into my faculty position before I was like, okay, we need to have lab meetings and we need to have these individual grad meetings. And some of the things that we've talked about in the podcast before, these weekly accountability type of things and a lot more structure to to our lives. And I guess in my defense, the reason I didn't do those to begin with is because that's not at all what I experienced as a graduate student. And it was because it was a very different type of culture. We didn't have a lot of undergrads working for us in the labs. We didn't need to have those big meetings. We saw each other every day. But I found that I think faculty get busier and busier every year, right? We're so overly scheduled on things between teaching and undergrads and extension and research and 10 million meetings of which probably 9.9 million of them are unneeded. We just struggle to find enough time. And so I think forcing myself to say, okay, every Wednesday from three to five is going to be lab meeting. Wednesday morning, I have to be thinking, okay, I got to put an agenda together. What's our open and go round? What do I want to hear about from them today? It's forcing me to stay structured. And I think some of the students absolutely need that structure from day one. So if I could go back, I would I would put a lot more organization into my grad mentoring from the get-go. Yeah, I totally agree. I would I would do the same, more organization, and it really does help to keep them at the front of your mind, as as you were kind of mentioning. We always have a lot going on, and you may have one student, for instance, that you're trying to finish up, and so you're focusing on that student in the kind of that spare time in between all those 10 million meetings, as you mentioned. And so, you know, another one you may not be thinking about as much, and you may kind of let them go to the wayside, and so being organized and and making sure that you are thinking consistently about okay what should these the each individual be working on how can i help them make progress how can i provide that feedback can make sure that we don't get to the end in the last 6 months and realize wow you know so and so's really far behind 
So I, I really think that organization and keeping each individual at the front of your mind is really, really important. Yeah, I want to star and asterisk and bold and underline and italicize and all the things what you just said, because even like you said, you've got the student who's not doing a big project this semester, who's not finishing in the next three months, they're just doing their thing, right? And they're doing a, you think that they're doing a great job. And all of a sudden in a go round, you're like, okay, tell us about the progress on your writing goal. And the student's like, yeah, I haven't really made any progress in the last two weeks. And you're like, whoa, red flag. We're going to need to follow up on that, right? And you wouldn't if you weren't making sure you had those interactions. Yeah, for sure. So my top tip is you're going to make mistakes. Own it. Done. Own it. Yeah. (laughs) I think there's a couple of things here with making mistakes. The first one is forgive yourself and learn from them, right? So anytime you realize something did not go well, uh, just ask yourself, okay, what could I have done differently? And, and try to learn from it. But the other one, the other part of this that's really useful is helping the students understand that you know you're going to make mistakes and you're going to own those mistakes with them when you make them so that they see you as a fallible human. The heck you say, I'm not a fallible human. <laughs> <laughs> I am totally a fallible human. If, if they see that you're willing to own your mistakes, then they're going to be willing to own their mistakes, which is also hugely helpful. But it also means that they, they see it more as a thing that you're working towards together. And it's not just me being a dictator trying to tell them exactly what they need to do. And again, this helps with ownership, which is really, really interesting because when I first started as a faculty mentor, I kind of thought I needed to have it all together <laughs> and and know exactly what I'm going to do. And I needed to come across as having it all together. And in fact, the more willing I am to to just be open with my students, it seems like the better off we are in terms of that progress that they make and the progress we make on our projects. And so I think this is a great tip, Mary. So two things that I was thinking about as I was listening to you there. One would be um, the fact that mistakes are fine as long as we learn from them. And so that's an important piece, right? So it's okay to mess up that plate the first time. But if you mess up that plate multiple times because you didn't correct your mistake the first time, then then we've got an issue, right? But I think absolutely owning your mistakes that you're going to make as faculty members is really important. And I would just comment here that I have seen some young faculty or some new faculty coming in who I think suffer from, you know, maybe a lack of confidence or something. And they overcome that by trying to be like, I know everything. And as a result, they were never willing to ask for help. And that's, that's not a good and sustainable way to start a faculty position, right? Because nobody knows everything and you need to be willing to ask for help from others and recognize that nobody's judging you for that. And in fact, I have a lot more respect for the person who's willing to ask questions and learn along with me than the person who is just going to quietly be like, yeah, I know all that. And, and really they don't. Yeah, that's a great point because it, that works not only with the students, but also with the fellow faculty members, uh, for sure. Just being willing to, to say, hey, you know, what do you think about this and asking for advice? That was something yeah, I was a little bit more nervous to do as well as to ask for advice. And now I ask for advice all the time, which is kind of funny, right? That uh, the older I get, the more advice I seek. And I think it's because 
you realize how invaluable it can be. You don't have to take it <laughs> if you don't think it's useful, but I'm sure you it will help you to think through the process. Yeah, just like our proposals get stronger when somebody challenges us in our ideas and we're forced to articulate them. And if we can't justify it, you know, a lot of times we'll find a hole in our argument and be like, wow, a reviewer would have sunk me on that. I'm so glad you pointed that out because now I can shore that up or I can go a different direction. Um, And that's exactly how we need to approach being faculty members too, right? Like nobody knows how to be a perfect faculty member and nobody knows how to be a great graduate student mentor the day that they arrive in their faculty position possibly unless they have previously been a faculty member for 30 years someplace else. (laughs) But my number one tip is to keep your mouth shut. So what I mean by this is that I can tell a noticeable difference in the critical thinking skills or the development of the critical thinking skills of my students for the ones where I learned that when they asked me a question, I should not answer this question. I should turn around and say, I don't know, Mary, what do you think we should do in that situation? And it's totally fine that they don't know the right answer. You're going to help them get there, right? Which is what we're going to ask them to do in their defense is go from point A to point B and use logical scientific reasoning to take us on that journey. So I think the students that I have learned to just keep my mouth shut, turn around the question on them. It's fascinating now to see how, you know, they don't even ask the question. They'll be like, well, I was thinking about this. You know, they they even just broach it in a totally different way. And we get great discussions. And I really just feel like everybody is better off in that kind of situation. So my number one tip, Mary, is to keep your mouth shut. (laughs) Yeah, that's it is very hard to do. But I agree that it can make a huge difference in terms of helping those students develop their ability to articulate their critical thinking and articulate their logic about a a certain question or a certain procedure. I have been trying to ask more questions in my interactions with my students and also trying not to bail them out because that's the hard part of keeping your mouth shut is you ask a question and then when they either take a moment to try to think through the answer, you want to like jump in with the answer or they start going down a path and you're like, no, that's not the direction you need to go. You need to keep your mouth shut. Let them walk through it because a lot of times they get there all on their own, but they may not get there in the same speed or at the same way that you would have got there. But if you just keep your mouth shut, they can get there. And so allowing them that opportunity to do that in a low stress situation can help them be able to do that in a high stress situation, like during their defense. Um, I mean, you got to remember that's super stressful. And if they haven't had that opportunity to build that confidence in their ability to answer those types of questions, um, that just adds one more level of stress and, and can tank them. Yeah, actually, I love that because we know from the brain biology literature that um, stress hormones interfere with the process of learning, right? And it interferes with the process of thinking. So that's a that's a great rationale to give them the low stress situation. Um, and also just building that expectation that you're getting an advanced degree. Somebody is not going to always be around to tell you the answer. And in fact, somebody's going to come to you for the answer. So you need to start developing, you know, those troubleshooting skills and problem solving skills to address those questions. I think there's a lot of good material here. (laughs) I wish I had uh, all of this experience when I first started. Unfortunately, you know, it's the school of hard knocks. We say 
Uh, We've made the mistakes so you don't have to. And that's the truth. So I would just say thanks for joining us. We'd like to hear from you. So we do have uh, this show posted on YouTube and the link is in the show note. In the comments section, it would be really great if you guys could tell us your thoughts on on this question about uh, what advice would you give yourself when you first started? Because I think others would really love to hear that advice. And I know I would because I would love the opportunity to learn more uh, about how to be a better mentor. As a reminder, the question of this week is what advice would you give to yourself if you could go back to when you first started mentoring graduate students? And thanks for joining us. And we'll uh, see you this fall. Have a great summer, everybody. We'll see you this fall.